So a couple of quick announcements on the trip. You've been hearing about that. You heard about it Monday. Some of you heard about it a little bit more yesterday. We had a chance to have lunch with a few of you. A few updates for those of you who are very interested in going. I appreciate the feedback on the trip so far. Unfortunately, our first snag in the trip, we've already had to move it, and it's only been two days that you've known about it, so that's awesome. We're going to be going in May. Ignore the video that says March. We're not going in March. If you go to Spain in March, you're going by yourself. I'm not going. We are going in May. That will be bad news for some of you. I apologize for that. That will be really good news for a lot of you, I hope. So uh, we're going in May. I'll get you an exact date. You'll get a campus-wide email hopefully this week on that. So pay attention if you are interested. So uh, the other thing is some of you expressed some interest. You've leaned into it, but you've resisted. You've hesitated the idea because of the challenge that you're facing. Some of you, that challenge is the finances. There's no way I can get $2,000. Or some of you, it's it's health. How could I, how could I go to Europe? My, my current health situation doesn't let me do that. It's schedule. It's I don't have a passport. I don't care what your challenge is. There are people who can help you address and deal with and face your challenge. So just because there's something standing in the way, don't let that be the reason you don't have a conversation with me. My card is out in the lobby. It's going to be on the screen a little bit later. My information, your professors, your teachers would be happy to connect you and help you and come beside you. If this is something you want to lean into and you want to be a part of, We'll find a way to address that with you and make it happen. So we only got five spots and they are filling up. So do not wait. Let me transition and talk about something else for a little bit. My family owned a grocery store. Uh, it, was, it was a Ross IGA. I don't know if wherever you're from, if you ever had IGAs growing up, but, but we had a family grocery store and it didn't pay dad very much money, but what, what dad lacked in money, he could bring home from the store. It, anything that was like expired or overstock inventory. We ate steak, it feels like every single weekend, which I didn't know until I was like an adult that steak is expensive, but, but we ate it every weekend because dad could just bring home the stuff that he wasn't going to sell anymore. Apparently it was going bad. So it wasn't great steak, but it was free steak. So we ate it all the time, right? And one of the coolest things about having your family name on the sign out front is that you walked around the place with a sense of authority and a sense of power, a sense of confidence. Like I could have as a seven-year-old kid, I could walk a grocery store and I felt like I could have anything I ever wanted. So like, like imagine yourself as a seven-year-old walking through a market and just, just pulling anything off the shelf. Like a donut, right? Mine. Uh, hot Pockets, mine. Cheese sticks, mine. You know, bag of potato chips, mine. I go to my grandma in the, in the bakery and say, cookies, mine, right? Childhood obesity, mine. I was a chunky kid, y'all. But I grew up in a grocery store and my name was out front. So I ate whatever I wanted. It was pretty awesome. One of the coolest things I got to do was go to the cereal aisle. My dad would say, hey, go pick out a box of cereal. We're going to take it home. And we're going to have it for the week. And I would pick out the one with the, the, the toy, the cool toy inside, or maybe there was a game on the back. Sometimes I just wanted the box of cereal that had the most memorable commercial from Saturday morning cartoons. Now, I know some of you are too young to know this or remember this, but maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. There was a time in the world where kids like me would wake up early on purpose on a Saturday morning to watch cartoons with commercials. 
And it was like the highlight of the week, waking up early to watch stuff with commercials. And here's the thing, I, I realize I might date myself here, but come on, we all know like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Everyone knows the turtles, right? Okay, we got some pinky in the brain, help me out. We got pinky in the brain, yes, we got a little bit of that. Some Dexter's Laboratory, we know some cartoons, right? We're on the same page. All right, there'll be bonus points if someone afterwards can tell me. One of my favorites as a kid was this, this goofy little show where these teenagers had some rings and this one kid, he had, this, he had the dumbest ring in the world. He can make a monkey cry. That was his superpower. If you know what show I'm talking about, talk to me afterwards. That'll be, I'll be impressed, all right? So anyway, regardless, we'd, we'd get to commercial break at these, in these Saturday morning cartoons, and we'd be treated to silly rabbit tricks are for kids, right? Okay, by the way, y'all, tricks are nasty, right? Like, nobody likes tricks. I don't understand how it's lasted this long, but they still make tricks. No one likes tricks. Okay, so there, but there, there's, there was another one. Another slogan is, um, show them you're a tiger and show them what you can do. I was in Spain a few weeks ago. Some of you are going back with me. They got, they got frosted flakes in Spain. They call them frosties. But in any culture and in any generation, everybody knows that frosted flakes are what? They're great, that's right. Everybody knows that Frosted Flakes are great. So check this out, one of the highlights of my life, when I learned that Thurl Arthur Ravenscroft, there's, there's his picture right there, the voice actor of Tony the Tiger for more than 50 years is the same voice actor that sings the iconic Christmas song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Right? Someone's like, seriously? Tony the Tiger, the serial dude, is the same voice as the mean one, Mr. Grinch guy. Like, your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, and they're great. I feel like Kellogg's missed an opportunity for garlic in your soul, Frosted Flakes. I know someone in this room would eat that. Someone's nudging their roommate right now. Check this out. You guys know what greatness looks like. I realize you come from all over the country, but you happen to be in Kansas right now. You happen to be in Chiefs country, and like it or not, when head and shoulders Patrick Mahomes takes the field, you know greatness when you see it. I told you on Monday that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Browns fan. Trust me, when I see any other quarterback other than mine take the field, I know greatness when I see it because that's just the kind of the way it works, okay? Listen, we, we, I went to a big city. I grew up in a small town. A lot of you came from small towns. The first time you go to a big city, you know greatness when you see it because it's big, it's shiny, it's expensive, it's great. I took my kids to, to Disney World in November and you walk away from an experience like that, especially with children, and you're just like, man, that was, there's hardly words for it. It was just great. We associate, a lot of us, we associate greatness with, with wealth and status and title and privilege. You know, that, that person over there, they make a lot of money. That person's head of an organization. That, that person, they travel a lot. Therefore, they must be great. And, you know, we, we look at greatness a lot of times like it's on the other side of the fence. You know, the, you've heard the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side. And we look across the fence and we imagine, boy, I wish I had that kind of success. I wonder what that kind of greatness feels like. Even though we know it's probably not true and it's not all it's cracked up to be, we still want Want it. We still want to know what it's like to be over there. But on the other hand, some of you, you've had some of that success. You've had that success in your academics. You've had that in your sports. You've had that in your job. Other people have told you that you're pretty great at something, and you've been on the other side of the fence, and you already know that sometimes it's just not all that special. I mean, sure, it's green, but it's like fake and sticky and just weird, complicated grass, and sometimes it just feels like responsibility. 
I'll give you an example uh, of how it doesn't always work out the way we hoped it would, greatness. I'm, I'm talking with this, this very successful, very wealthy man. He was, a, he was head of a major insurance company, and I was serving as a chaplain at a hospital in Indianapolis. And, and by the world standards, this, this was a great dude. He had tons of power and authority in his life, and, and he was dying. He wasn't going to be leaving the hospital. And, and in his last days, he's reflecting with me on the impact that his father had had on his life, and he's imagining and wondering what the kind of impact he has had in his wealth and his power has had on his kids' lives. I don't know if you knew this. I wrote this down for you. One of the greatest fears of people of wealth is the negative impact their success and their money has on their family. It's a big reason why people who have a lot of money want to give a bunch of it away. It's not just a tax break. It is, but it's an imperative in their own life in order to convince themselves and show their family what actually matters in the world. Here's the deal, you know, I know you know what greatness looks like. I know you know what it feels like. I know you know what it smells like. Culture has defined it and shaped it, and we just know it. The people of the first century, especially the earliest followers of Jesus, they understood that too. They were no different. They knew greatness when they saw it. When they saw Jesus, they saw somebody who was great. In many ways, as a people, they were primed for someone like Jesus. They, they had been waiting from the days of their ancestors, like Abraham and the writing, through the writings of their prophets had been telling them that there was coming a day, that there was coming a great person. They would call the person the Messiah, that there was coming a person who was going to usher in their restoration and their redemption as a people, and they hung on to the hope of that for hundreds of years. They, they had been a conquered people. They, they'd been conquered by Babylon. They'd been conquered by Egypt. They'd been conquered by, by Syria. They'd been conquered by the Macedonians and Alexander the Great. They'd been conquered now by, by Rome and their great emperor. But they still, some of the Jews of Jesus' time, they still held on to the hundreds of years old stories that someday a great one, a Messiah was gonna come along and make us a respected, rejuvenated, revitalized, redeemed people in the world. Again, they were waiting for it. And when they saw Jesus, they saw something great and they believed in him because they saw something great. The earliest disciples, check this out, maybe you didn't know this. The earliest disciples didn't blindly follow Jesus because of who he said he was or what other people had said about him. They followed him because they saw him. They, they saw him give sight to the blind. They, they saw him turn water into wine. They saw him cast demons out. They saw him call and tell a dead, embalmed man to come out of a tomb alive again. They saw him. They believed in him because they saw him, and seeing is believing. And I promise, if you were there and saw what they saw, you'd have believed too. How could you not have? Blind faith. Maybe you didn't know this. I don't know. Blind faith has never been the ask of Christianity. It never has. Maybe that's the reason you checked out. Maybe that's the reason you never cared. Maybe that's the reason you just never gave the whole Jesus thing even, even a chance because, because you couldn't leave your logic at the door. You couldn't leave your science at the door. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't leave what you know to be rational and normal and right. You couldn't, just, you couldn't just ignore that and blindly follow the legend of some Jewish rabbi. But I gotta tell you folks, maybe you didn't know this, but that's never been the ask 
of Christianity. The stories of Jesus, like the things we read about, about Jesus, the, the witness, sometimes we use the word witness, the witness of Jesus is just that. It's an account of what people saw. And when they saw, they believed. And you would have too, you would have too. They saw something so great that they knew this man was special. They saw something so great that they thought this man must be the Messiah that our people had been waiting for all this time. This man is powerful. This man is something. This man is gonna save us all from the people who oppress us. So they're making their way to, to Jerusalem, Jesus and his, his group of followers. They're making their way to Jerusalem. It's a pilgrimage. Thousands of Jews are coming to Jerusalem at this time of year for a big festival. And his followers get the sense that maybe this is the last time Jesus is gonna go. That something is different this time. His words are changing. His attitude is changing. They're getting the impression, maybe it's some of the things Jesus is talking about. They're getting the impression that, that when they arrive in Jerusalem this time around, that this is going to be it. That Jesus is going to unleash all of this power for the restoration of their people. That Jesus is going to go into, into Jerusalem and go like, like Kung Fu Rabbi and kick out Rome. And we're going to redeem and restore the Jewish people into this big glory. And, and he's going to be king and everyone's going to respect us. And it's going to be awesome. It's all about to go down in Jerusalem this time. The anticipation is, is heavy. Everybody's ready. He just cast a demon out from a boy on the way. He's as popular as he's ever been. This is the moment of the rise and the redemption of the Jewish people. It's going to happen. And Jesus, he pulls his, his disciples, his followers, he pulls them aside to have a conversation, something he wants to tell them. It's not the first time he's wanted to tell them this. It's not the first time he's had this conversation. Here's what he tells them. He says, look, we're going, to, we're going to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. He's talking about himself. They, when we get there, they're going to turn me in. They're going to turn me into the authorities. They shall seek his death and deliver him to the outsiders to carry out that sentence. Then people will mock him, spit on him, whip him, kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. And I have to imagine, kind of like us, when you hear something like that, you're just kind of like, what? Like, it doesn't make any sense. You're Jesus. Like, we've seen you bring people back to life. We've seen you, like, like we've seen you just like, um, and if you're not there, imagine for a second if all that stuff actually happened, if this is who Jesus actually is, and these are the things Jesus actually done, you got to be sitting there listening to him saying, how is that even possible? Because you're Jesus. Like, you do all this cool stuff. It's why we believe in you. It's how we got to know you in the first place. There is no way. I don't understand why you would, why you would say something that ridiculous. They thought he was, <laughs> they thought he was joking, maybe. I don't know. Well, as if they had another agenda, as if they didn't care, as if they weren't even paying attention. A couple of them, James and John, they, they, they go up to Jesus and they, they're like, they have their own agenda. They have a whole other priority and they want to talk to him about something. They say, okay, forget all that stuff. Hey, teacher, teacher, will you do something for us if we ask it of you? It's kind of coming out of left field. They say, Master, grant that we might sit on either side of you, one at your right, one at your left, when you come into the glory of your kingdom. Again, it's like they weren't even listening. It's a whole other conversation. But what are they chasing? Why, why do they have such a focus on something that Jesus isn't even talking about? What are they chasing? They're chasing greatness. 
They want greatness because they know how the world works. They know how the world has always worked. It's the same way you and I know how the world works. It's the same way you and I know what greatness is. They knew what greatness was. Greatness is like a pyramid with power and status and privilege with the few at the top and hell, the rest of us just kind of trickle down underneath somewhere. That's what they know. And they're like maybe listening to Jesus going, hey man, I'm not so sure about the whole getting beat up and spit on and dead and coming back to dead. That's just kind of weird. We don't really understand that. But what we do know is we're about to get to Jerusalem. You're about to kick out Rome. You're going to be at the top. You're going to be in charge. And we want to be up there with you. We want to be in charge and have power with you. And Jesus has to calm them down and say, wait, 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 wait. You just, you're not getting something. You got to understand something. So he tells them, he tells them this again, not for the first time. They've had this conversation before. He says, he says, you know that among the nations of the world, the great ones lord it over the little people and act like tyrants and his followers have got to be like, exactly, yes, because we know how greatness works. We, and, and frankly, we don't, we don't want to be lorded over. We want to be with you at the top as the overlorderers, right? We want to be in charge. We know you're about to be at the top. We want to be at the seats next to you at the top. Yes, Jesus, exactly. And Jesus says, but that is not the way it will be among you. In fact, he says, whoever wants to be great, that's the word we're after today, whoever wants to be great among you must serve and minister. Whoever wants to be great among you must be slave of all. He even gives some more detail. He says, even I didn't come to be served at the top, as you say, you know. He says, but I came to be a servant. And, and you got to be honest, they would have understood that probably in a way we never will. Because servants who stand in the back of the line, servants who, who wash feet with a, a towel and a bucket of water, slaves, you know, I know we, we still have slavery today. It's in your state, it's in my state. Slavery still exists today. But slavery back then was such a normal public construct, it would have been totally different. Their minds would have immediately gone to, wait, you want me to be a servant? You want me to be a slave? But like, you're Jesus. Like, you're gonna kick out Rome. You raised the dead. You did all this crazy stuff. And you're telling me that if I wanna be great, I gotta be a, I gotta be a servant? What? That doesn't make sense. Again, this isn't new. He's been saying this. He's been trying to get them to understand that greatness is not about status at the top. It's not. Greatness is about lifting others above you as if you are a servant. And if they didn't understand that, and folks, this is for us. If you don't understand that, if you, as, as students of Central College right now, if you don't understand that, then you'll never understand why your greatness doesn't always feel all that great. In fact, a lot of times greatness doesn't feel all that great. Success doesn't feel all that great because it was never real greatness to begin with. I mean, don't get me wrong. Other people act like they see greatness in you all the time. I get it. You, you, you got enough clicks, you got enough shares, you got enough likes, you, you got enough accolades from family and friends on how good you are at what you do and your sport and your school and your job. Like people all the time will tell you all these things that are so great, but so many times that just feels like stress and pressure and responsibility. Folks, don't confuse greatness with just meeting other people's expectations. Those are two very different things. Greatness is not, has nothing to do with meeting other people's expectations for who you ought to be in this world. Jesus is telling his people that if they want to feel and experience and know real greatness, that, that means embracing and practicing something that's completely the opposite of what they've, of what they've always known. So his disciples, they're like me. They need practice. 
They need practice. They need to do something in order to form a new habit and embrace a new truth in their life. So Jesus, he, he gives them something practical, something they can do. He's told this to them before. So here's, here's what he said. He, he told them, whoever wants to be first must be last. Maybe you've heard that before. Whoever wants to be greatest must be servant of all. So here's the practical part. He, he calls the child forward, sets the child in the middle of them, puts his arms around them, and, and he gives them this thing that they can do. He says, whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me is not welcoming me, but the one who sent me. Why is that practical? Why is that practice for greatness? Because Jesus knows they celebrate him. Jesus knows they want to be great like him. Jesus knows that they think he is this conquering warrior king who is going to kick out Rome. Jesus knows that they think he's the biggest and the best and the greatest and he's powerful. And the thing is, Jesus is great. He's just not great in the ways that they think he is. He's powerful. He's famous. That's what they think. That's why they want to be with him. They, Jesus knows that, that he's the kind of guy people like stop their conversations, interrupt their conversations. Here, hold my drink. Jesus walked into the room. I got to go talk to that guy. Jesus knows that that's what they think of him. That's why he's telling them now that if you really want to celebrate me, if you really want to honor me, if you really want to respect me, if you really want to know me, if you really want to welcome me, receive me, then start by welcoming people who don't have any status or prestige or authority or power in this world. Start by serving and loving those who are not great by your standards. And a child, is, a child represents one without power without greatness. Welcome them. It's like Jesus saying, welcome them. And then you will know what it's like to actually be first. Because maybe you've never felt it before. Maybe you've never felt what that actually feels like. Welcome someone like a child and you'll know what it feels like to be first. Welcome them. And then you will understand what greatness actually feels like. I'm going to invite the team to, to come back up. We'll, we'll start to wrap this up and give you something practical you can do. So uh, on Monday, and, and some of you yesterday, we got to talk a little bit more. I gave you some, some practical ideas, some practical things that you can do to take a step in a direction of justice-minded change in the world. In fact, I even give you one idea about, uh, about 1%. I got stickers out there to help you remember this idea of 1%. 1% of your time, 1% of your money, learning and paying attention to the changes you want to see in the world and, and putting yourself out there to impact the changes you want to see in the world and being those kinds of people. Doing stuff like that, like that 1%, that, that's, a, that's the kind of idea that gives you like one step, 1% 1 of your life towards understanding what greatness actually feels like. Why would I ask you to do that? I'm a guest here uh, on behalf of ICCM, International Child Care Ministries. I, I get the honor of being next to a whole lot of people like you who want to practice greatness, okay? We're, we're a Jesus-following organization. We come beside kids in these desperate and difficult situations all over the world. And, it, and it's like we don't stand over kids who are poor as if they need fixed. We stand over kids. We know their name. We stand with kids. We know their names. We, they share their story with us. They invite us into their story. And I get the privilege of coming beside a whole bunch of people like you who want to do that. 
who want to come beside children and speak justice into the world and speak that real change into the world. That's what I get to do. It's an honor and it's a privilege. That's why I tell people to be a part of these kinds of stories because it's what greatness actually feels like. That partnership that we have with kids, it looks different all over the world. You can check us out on childcareministries.org. You can look us up, ICCM on YouTube. You can see some of the stuff we're doing. But for, for some, it's like money and support that we get from people like you helps, a, helps a, a child in Haiti go to school because we can pay their teachers. Sometimes it feeds a child. And, and so uh, in Haiti or anywhere else in the world, sometimes it's providing solar lights so a kid can do homework after dark where they don't have reliable electricity. We come beside women and, and girls in Kenya who are resisting period poverty. We, we help kids resist human trafficking all over the world. PTSD, kids coming out of the war in Ukraine. I'm telling you, there are ample opportunities for you to be involved. Just 1% of your time learning about some of these kinds of things and finding ways that you will invest 1% of your life stepping into what greatness actually looks like and actually feels like. Um, before I leave you, I just want you to know it's not a gimmick. I didn't stand up here so that you would spend $38 a month sponsoring a kid. That's what I do. My family spends $38 a month coming beside a, a young girl in Kenya so she can go to school. I came up here to invite you to pay attention. I came up here to invite you to step in the direction of greatness because I think you can and I think you want to. I'm here to give you some opportunities. A bit, Welcoming off, a child is an awesome opportunity to broaden your story and experience greatness. Some of you, you've been freaking out a little bit about graduation. <laughs> You're not sure what's next. Some of There's you, you've been, you've been working hard at song. school, but it's not working the way you thought. Some of you, you've tied the greatness of your life to the success of your love life and your relationships haven't been all that great, so you don't feel all that great. I get it. Some of you, you got a lot of pressure to succeed. And by all accounts, a lot of people around you are telling you you are succeeding, but you just feel like you're falling apart inside. And you got to step back and shift your idea of what greatness feels like and looks like. That's why I'm here. I'll give you some options. So you can talk to me about sponsoring a kid, becoming beside a kid. 38 bucks a month, you're like, no way, I got that. Your team does. Get together with some friends. You can do it. Come beside a 14-year-old, sponsor them for a few years. You and your group can do that. It's a meaningful way to step into greatness. Join us in Spain. It's a meaningful way to step into greatness. Don't let any challenge stand in your way. There are some awesome people here at this school, and I'm here. We'll help you face those challenges. You guys are amazing. Let me pray a blessing over you, and then we're going to get you out of here. So, God, we recognize that you fix everything that is broken in the world, and you've invited us into that story. You've invited us to step into a real sense of authentic greatness. So I ask your power for greatness to be on this room and to be with each and every student in this room, that they would step through every challenge that they face, that nothing would stand in the way, that nothing could stop them from even taking 1%, one step into the change that they want to see in the world. God, go before them that their change would be felt everywhere. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Get out of here. Thanks for having me.